Good morning. Welcome this wonderful Sunday morning. We're going to start off with a couple of brief announcements. Uh, first, we have in, in your... Uh, not doing any better in the second service than I did in the first one. Um, in your chair is going to be some little yellow voting ballots. Uh, those are for... Uh, Dan Chessman, who was recommended uh, as a deacon for the church. So if you would take some time to vote on that today, please remember to mark member or uh, attendee on that ballot as well. Uh, additionally, next month, there will be a vote for Scott Kingston to be an elder. Uh, that will be 30 days exactly from this, this uh, Sunday. Um, and then at the end of this service, there will be uh, a little bit of a prayer time uh, to pray for the future of our church, the present and the future. So if you'd be willing to stick around a couple minutes after for that. And then if the uh, ushers would come forward, we'll say a word of prayer for our day and the offering. Dear Lord, thank you um, for the blessings that you have given us, the blessing to be here. Thank you for these people that have come together to worship you. Um, may we approach this morning with open hearts um, and a mind dedicated to you and the desire to honor, worship you, and be an example for you in our daily lives. Please bless this offering. May we use it wisely. And may we bring you glory through, through this church and in every aspect of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we thank you for your amazing grace. You know, that's an old song. <clears throat> Seemed like everybody knows. Lord Jesus, may we never get beyond the simplicity and the profundity of its words. God, your grace is just so amazing. Thank you for calling us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for dying for us. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for making us into your body. Oh God, may we not get so far advanced that we forget just to say thank you, Father, for who you are and what you've done. Lord Jesus, this is your church, and so we are honored to come together uh, to lift you up. Savior, it is our earnest desire that we honor you in all that we say, and that of all the things that happens here today, Lord Jesus, that you receive glory. This from the very first day until it's history will be yours. And so, Savior, you know, who are we that you're even mindful of us? So may it be that all that we say and think and do today draws glory to you. Thank you, this dear congregation. Father, each one coming with their own story a wider story, and even a story of this week. God, this has been a place that we have known where you have met with us. And then, Savior, you've met with us corporately. I mean, just we thank you for these songs. We thank you that you hear our prayers. We thank you for the fellowship of believers. We thank you for the voice of little kids running around. And Father, you're just a really, really, really good God. So... Pour out your spirit as you have so often, God. And may we uh, just continue in worship. 
Thank you for these songs we've been singing. God, now thank you for your word. God, we love you, O Christ, and we're so grateful. We thank you for all you are and all you've done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning. My name is Pastor Al Spittler, and uh, I'm glad to see you here. And thank you, for the, by the way, for those of you who prayed for me and for our situation here. I'm going to get rid of this thing now. Um, I apparently had what they found out to be a lazy heart, which meant that my heart would sometimes just stop, uh, not so that I would die, but so that I could go unconscious and stuff. So the fear was that while I was driving or something like that, I would just fall asleep, and that's a bad thing. And so they gave me a pacemaker. So now I've joined the ranks. Don't show me hands, but some of you I hear and go tick, tick, tick. I know you got them too. You know, I know you do. Um, and so I had a pacemaker put in, and that was cool. But I, Phil Sanfilippo did it, I'm pretty sure. I was hanging out with Phil. Yep, it's all his fault. And, and, and some went goofy inside. And so I got the helicopter ride from Wild Rose to Appleton, and they had to redo the thing. Uh, and that was a part of a problem. So the reason why this is so that I don't pull the leads out. The leads are like in my heart. And if I hug you and I do this, that'll be a bad thing. So that's the deal with the wing deal. But, <clears throat> but thank you for all of you who prayed. God heard and answered your prayer. You know, I feel stronger and I feel better and ornerier, although I am trying to milk this as long as I can so Debbie does all the work, you know, as best I can. Um, uh, for those of you who I don't know well, this is my last Sunday here. I've been here for 32 years, and uh, it's just time. But boy, what a great church he has done. What a great church he's done. You have no idea. I've heard pastor stories, you know. This church is like the envy of every pastor. It's just, I just thought, we've, we've been so loved here. You know, I look out, I see stories. I mean, how you've loved each other, how you've done way cool things. I mean, whoosh, we had our stuff, I guess, but wow. This has just been a great church. And so to say that I'm humbled and honored to have served here is an understatement. I am humbled and honored to have served here. So we're just really grateful. Uh, thank you for all you've done and been. So this is my last message here as senior pastor anyway. <coughs> um, I'd like to kind of leave with kind of the way we started. There's a verse that I think is worth owning. It's my favorite verse in the Bible. You know, I've turned to it. I'll give you some other verses in a second. But it's, it's John, John chapter 1, verse 14. And it simply says this. And we have beheld him as the only begotten from the Father. So he's got other sons and daughters who are adopted. But Jesus is the only begotten son. And that son is filled with two things. It's filled up. When we use the word filled in the scriptures, it often means controlled by. He's like overflowing in. It's going to control Jesus. And these two things should control us as his disciples. We should be filled with the same things that filled Jesus. And Jesus was filled with two things, and they are grace and truth. And those things, he was filled with both. And so, you know, you read that, yeah, I got that. Well, come on. Those things don't go well together. Grace-filled churches that only do grace 
are just so incredibly nice. They're nice to everybody. Oh, come on in, have a seat, you know, hang out, take your shoes off, it's all good. And we miss the truth part. I know that you're a liar and a murderer and you're a cheater, but we're just so glad you're here. It's like, what? What? And, and so you find in churches that just love everybody so well that they've missed the importance of telling people the truth. Unless you know Jesus Christ as personal Savior, you have no hope. That's truth. Doesn't feel gracious. And then so there's this reaction against the grace churches of truth churches. You know, evangelicals are really good at this. Oh, man, we really love truth. You know, and truth can be like... Um, uh, Get your act together, you know? I mean, stop living a dual lifestyle and, and, and you need to know Jesus Christ as personal Savior or you will go to hell and burn forever. And that's really true. That's, I can't change that. I can't change the narrative. That really is true. But sometimes truth churches, it's about this long before they find something to fight about with somebody else. Oh, I think Jesus comes before the rapture. No, that's not right. He comes in the middle of the rapture. Oh, that's not right. He comes after the tribulation period. It's like, I mean, it's like, what? And so we fight. We fight about tongues. We fight about versions of the Bible. We fight about masks. We fight about, you know, uh, liturgy. Okay. Jesus was filled up with both grace and truth. So may it be that you, as his disciple, act like, sound like, think like, are like Jesus. My heart here is that we wouldn't be about some church or certainly about some preacher, but that each one here would be about being like Jesus as best you know how. So anyway, that's my deal. That's kind of... I, I want, that's kind of how we started. That's kind of what I end with. The purpose of this church is to make disciples for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's been our purpose. What's a disciple? Somebody who's full of grace and truth who loves Jesus. So, would you please turn to Mark chapter 2 in the blue books, in the blue Bible, so on page 1554. <clears throat> Luke chapter 2, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 2. Page 1554. Let me give you the context real quickly here. It's back on Mark chapter 2, verse 1. Um, a few days later, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. And some men came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. And since they couldn't get to him, to Jesus, because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and afterwards, digging through it, they lowered the mat, and the paralyzed man was lying on. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic son, your sins are forgiven. So that's kind of the context over verse 13. Once again, Jesus went outside the lake, and a large crowd, oh, there we go, that's the same thing. There were crowds all over the place. There were people trying to get to Jesus except a few. Uh, a, a large crowd came to him and began to teach him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. Why did he choose Levi? What is grace? 
definition of grace would be love is good. Unmerited favor. That's what I was looking for. If you look up, you know, grace in a theological book, it will say unmerited favor. So then grace is a favor that's done to people who have not deserved it. What had Levi done to deserve Jesus' love? Nothing. There were crowds. Where was Levi? Sitting in the tax office. There were crowds in the store. Where was Levi? Sitting, taking people's money. He was by the, by the sea, teaching. Was, Jesus, was Levi by the sea? No. Levi was there fleecing his neighbors, taking their money, and giving it back to Rome. Everybody hated Levi. <clears throat> and Levi was certainly no follower of Jesus. And Jesus just did grace. Here's my first point. Grace will always be for people who don't deserve it. Grace is not, I'll be nice to you when you're nice to me. Grace is, I will give you favor because and, and you don't deserve it. I will just give it to you. That's kind of how grace works. <clears throat> so, <laughs> Levi was alone. He was sitting down. He wasn't pursuing him. There was anything. Raised and educated in liberal Catholic settings, Rosaria Butterfield fell in love with the world of words. In her late 20s, allured by feminist philosophy in LGBT advocacy, she adopted a lesbian identity. Rosaria earned her PhD from Ohio State University, then served in the English Department and Women's Studies program at Syracuse University from 92 to 2002. Her primary academic field was critical theory. That, by the way, preceded critical race theory. Um, and, and specialized in queer theory. Her historical focus was 19th century literature informed by Freud, Marx, who defined people as oppressors or oppressed. Husbands are oppressors. Churches are oppressors. And she'd be overthrown by the... So she studied that. And, and Darwin. She advised the LGBT student group. She wrote Syracuse University's Policy for Same-Sex Couples and actively lobbied for the LGBT aims alongside her lesbian partner. In 1997, while Rosari was researching the religious right, that would be us, and their, poli or something like us, I guess, and their policies, politics of hatred against people like me, she wrote. She wrote an article against... The promise keepers. Promise keepers, those are the good guys, you know? A bunch of guys getting saved by their faith. No, no, no. <clears throat> a, a response to that article triggered a meeting with Ken Smith. You know what Ken Smith, what Ken Smith did? He said, why don't you come to my house for supper? What had she done to deserve that? Absolutely nothing. That's what grace looks like. Ken Smith invited her to supper, did not invite her to the church, did not share the four spiritual laws with her yet. <laughs> just loved her. He just did grace. Because of his grace, Rosaria understood the God of all grace. She gave her life to Jesus Christ. She's now married to a pastor somewhere on the East Coast. And now she writes about the transforming grace
of the Lord Jesus Christ. So folks, what am I asking you to do? I'm asking you to do grace to those who do not deserve it. That's a radical kind of grace. But I'm asking, it starts in your own family. Do grace to Uncle Harry. <laughs> that guy, do grace to him. Do grace to your neighbors who don't deserve it. Or your friends at school who are knuckleheads or stupid. They may need grace more than anybody else. I'm calling you to be like Christ by doing a radical kind of grace. Love, do grace indiscriminately. Love the unlovely. I like people who are lovely. I like you guys. Jesus did grace to those who are not like you guys. Give those who are not deserving. That's the way of grace. Look at Mark 5, if you would, please. <clears throat> Turn a couple pages over. Mark 5. I love this story. It's just this amazing, powerful story. Like, whoa. Um, Mark 5, 1. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus got out of the boat, a man from an, with an evil spirit came uh, from the tombs to meet him. And this man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons at his feet. Powerful guy. Yeah, but no one was strong enough to, enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Phew. Uh, when Jesus, you know, self-loathing, self-hating. All this strength and power was all inward focused at the self-hatred. He just would spend his days just crying out. No peace. No solace of soul. When Jesus saw, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. And he shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to me that you will not torture me. Torture you? For Jesus came to him, had said to him, come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. And a large herd of pigs was feeding on a nearby hillside. And the demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. He gave them permission. And the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd was about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. And those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town. Okay, this is great. Jews don't do pigs. What was going on here? <clears throat> These tending the pigs ran in the, off in, in, in the town and, and, and the country, and the people went to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, verse 15, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there. Now remember, this is the guy who could not stop cutting himself. So you've been cutters. So you have cutters for kids or grandkids. This is one of the first cutters that we know recorded. He cut, it, he cut himself because he hated himself. And he was there sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. I would have been pumped. They were afraid. 
those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told them about the pigs as well. And then the people began, what would you have said? Jesus, come to They begged him to leave. <coughs> leave the region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus didn't let him. He said, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. So the man went away. No, wait, wait, go back. Wait, 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 go back. Verse 19. Go home to your he had a family? He hadn't had a family for at least years, but he had one someplace. He didn't have a right mind for years. He wasn't able to think good thoughts for years. He was controlled by demons for a really long time. Go back to your family? Jesus gave him back his mind. He put clothes on his back. He gave him back his family? Why? What did Jesus get to gain out of this? Nothing. Grace is favor that does good for the person that receives the grace. It wasn't to manipulate him into being like, you know, come do my bidding. No, no, no. He wouldn't even let him go with him. He said, go back and tell people. Grace is about the good of those who receive the grace. Okay, guys, you know this. Churches like ours, and, and, and they are like multiple rocket launchers of grace just for somebody else's good. It's good for children to be rescued from human trafficking. It's good, and no one does it better than the church. It's good for women and children who have been spared the pain of abortion. No one pounds that drum harder than the church. It's good for the hungry that we give them food and clothing. We do it in the church. It's good for homeless that we send people like Ellis, our own guy, to rebuild their homes for them. That's a good thing. It's good for the poor in Liberia that we send people there to train them to do dental care. Some of you are leaving to do dental care in Liberia. It's good for the sick that we provide medicines. It's good for our community that we love and offer hope to our kids in our community. It's really, really good. And no one does it better than the church. And we do it not for us, but for them. Grace is unmerited favor for them. Not to get, just to give. Why, apart from Christ, would anybody do grace? No one does grace. We always give to get. I'll be nice to you if you're nice to me. No. Grace says, I'll be nice to you. Because Jesus was nice to me. And I'm going to do grace to you whether you give me back anything, even your hateful stares. I'm going to love you and care for you. Because you matter to Christ. People who follow Christ will be somehow invested in the good of somebody else. <clears throat> there is one caveat, though, that I want to tell you about. This is in Luke chapter 7. <clears throat> it's kind of beginning. Go to Luke 7, if you would, please. Um, verse 36, over page 1604 in your blue Bibles. <clears throat> grace will be costly. You just don't do grace freely. Somehow grace will cost you. So over in verse 36, now one of the Pharisees invited, to, invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. Folks, this is really, really good. If Jesus wins the Pharisees, he wins the battle for the Jewish nation. 
They were the people's leaders of the law. If Jesus wins these guys, man, if he's in with them, he wins the whole nation. So what's at risk here? Oh, I don't know, not much. He's like well, one of the leaders in, in, in that culture to do meals meant that they were like agreeing with it. They were together. They were like one, like you're a part of me, guy. You know, you're, we're together. And so in the middle of that, he's meeting with the power brokers of the day. Simeon, how's it going? Jesus, good. How you doing? Good. Life's good. What's that? And then all of a sudden, this cost walks in the back door. This liability shows up. Verse 37. <clears throat> when a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume and stood behind him. She, she walked into the house and she stood behind him at his feet weeping. And she began to wet his feet with her tears. And she wiped, then she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and he poured perfume on him. Ruh-roh. Because now we got to make a choice, right? Which side here is Jesus going to go with? Verse 39. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, hmm, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman that she is, that she is a sinner. Then Jesus takes on the wrong guy. He says, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt. You have judged correctly. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears. Wait, wait, wait. I'm the host. I provide the food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you didn't do what she did. Jesus. Whoa, whoa, whoa. This is the wrong guy to make mad. Um, you did not give me a kiss, but this woman at the time I entered has not stopped kissing her my feet. You didn't put oil on my head, but she poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves litter. Little, Simon, that's you. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests who began to say among themselves, who is this even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. What did Simon do? He hated him for it. And this would cost Jesus his relationship with Simon and the other Pharisees who would eventually see to it that Jesus, for his grace, would be crucified. Folks, be like Jesus. That's my deal. That will cost you. You cannot be like Jesus and have your same amount of time just for yourself. If you do grace... That will cost you. Some will say, why do you hang out with him? He's a weirdo or her. She's a... Why do you hang out with us? To do grace will cost you. Not everybody will get it. Oh, you're just, you're just taking care of me. You're a, you're a funny school people. Or someone will say, someone will accuse you of, you're only doing this because it makes you feel good. I, I don't care. Will you do Grace. Will you intentionally do 
grace to the unlovely, to the unworthy, for their good, even though it costs you. That's what Jesus did. Okay, I'm sorry. Someone gave me, and I'm not, I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry. Okay, however, you can see where this is going, right? So years ago, Heather uh, McKittrick made me this hat. It says, I have 27 more points. I've just covered grace. We're just kind of getting started here, guys. Hang in here with me. Because let's talk about truth. Let's talk about truth. You know, if I ask 100 people around the world what they know about Jesus, they will say something like this. He was a good man. Even if they don't believe in him, they'll say he was a good man who loved people and did good things. Jesus also said, unless you repent of your sins, you will perish. Sometimes truth is really confrontive to the Pharisees, he would say. You Pharisees are truth people. You have the Old Testament mastered. You guys know about the law, and the law is really, really good, and you know it. And he said, and you are of your father, the devil. Well, that's how to win friends and influence people, I'll tell you right there. And everything you say is a lie. <laughs> Yikes. Jesus, what are you doing? I'm confronting people with truth. Sometimes you have to confront people with truth. I've been here for a long time. <clears throat> Let me give you a composite of some of the people I had to confront in Washera County with truth. You know them. You know who they are. They are the ones who sit here and they sing the songs and they, hey brother, how are you doing? But privately, they've got a second life. And privately, that life is not characterized by righteousness, but characterized by the world. They are liars. They mess with substances of a variety of kinds. And they're just on the edge of increased immorality. And along the way, me and other leaders have had to tell time to time and say, dude, choose this day whom you will serve. You cannot serve God and live the way you're living. You can't. Not always, but sometimes truth has got to be confrontive. You who are big cowards, it's not your truth. If you love people, you use Jesus' truth. Because unless they repent, they will die in their sins. We have got to tell people that they need to repent, that they need to receive Jesus Christ, that they need to confess their sin because they're sinful. It's not their parents' fault. It's not culture's fault. It's my fault. And unless I confess that, I have no hope. <laughs> Sometimes, and you with these gentle spirits, you can do it gracefully. Jesus did. Don't wimp out on truth. <clears throat> Sometimes truth is instructive. Instruction is what you build stuff on, right? So Jesus said, I am the Father of one. Well, that's the beginning of the doctrine of the Trinity. 
Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let me say that slower. Try this at the University of Anywhere in Wisconsin, where you walk into a college campus and say, Jesus Christ is the only way where people will find salvation. And you will not be applauded. But he is. And there is no other way. There is no other religion. There is no other faith. There is no other way to the Father except through Jesus Christ, the Son. You can build a life on that. So we then as Christians, man, we teach stuff that's like, you can, we, we teach truth functions like building blocks. Let me give you some building blocks that are the truth of God's word. Uh, family is good. Fathers are good. Maleness and femaleness is good. Jesus will someday come back for his church. That's good. The gates of hell will not prevail against his church. That's good. The way to eternal life is through by being born again by faith alone. That's good. All have sinned that are in need of a Savior. That's good. Children should honor their parents as best they can, even though their parents are knuckleheads. That's still good. Husbands should love your wives and sacrifice for the wives. Wives should love their husbands and honor him with respect. The Holy Spirit will indwell the life of every believer. Authority is good. You don't want to overthrow authority. Jesus said all authority has been given into him. It's good. Governments are ordained by God to do good and to punish evil. Those who do not work should not eat. We should work hard to get ourselves out of debt so that we be a slave to the borrower. We should not lie. The truth is a good thing. So we had here a dear brother, a good friend. And dear brother, he always sat back there, somewhere back there. We always, I always threatened to get him a recliner just to put it back there for, for Ray Berglund to sit on. And Ray Berglund, he was just one of my friends. He's just character, man. But he believed in this. He believed that, that, that discipling men was the way to change the world. And so he had a, a deal that I went through, many of you went through. It's called 33 The Series. And so we meet together up at Cristiano's, I don't know, I went there in the nighttime, I think, at 6 o'clock at night for, I don't know, a year or so. And in that, uh, he, would, he would bring out different things that uh, were true to the scriptures. And so right off the bat, he said this. Men. Men. From Genesis chapter 3, where was Adam when Eve got the apple? He was within an arm's reach away. Here, honey, you should try this. And what he should have said, are you crazy? Drop that thing. What he said was, okay. And so from that passage, Ray taught us, real men are not passive. Real men will do conflict if they have to. But they will not just be passive and say, okay, honey, whatever you think, it's all on you. I'm going to avoid conflict here. Nope, nope, nope. He'd say real men would wade into the conflict because they love their wives. Whoosh. And then, somewhere around week 9 or week 10, he got to the spot where uh, Ray would, uh, the, the, the teachers would say, we now want to talk about something called the father wound. Don't raise your hands. How many of you have been deeply wounded by your father? And you could feel it in the room. And then he taught us Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. 
we should be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. And corporately and individually, we forgave our fathers. We did so because it was good and it was true. And we all did better because of it. Man, don't be afraid of truth. It's really, 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 really good, hey? Don't back away from truth. Our culture needs truth. <clears throat> Sometimes truth is just encouraging. John 10, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give unto them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. Some of you lost people this last year. And Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, but I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. I'm going to see my mama someday. By God's grace, I'll see my dad. Folks, that's not just sappy emotionalism. That's based on the truth of the words of God. One time... In another life, I was a chaplain, and so we had, uh, the army was tired of losing so many uh, couples to divorce, so they had a marriage conference that we would try, and it was a, a getaway weekend. And so we would take, and so I was the guy, I, uh, me and another guy were instructors, and so we'd take couples away, and we would take them out to a nice restaurant and just teach them stuff. Folks, this is a hoot. This is an absolute hoot. So people thought, oh, isn't this chaplain wonderful? What could he, you know what I was teaching him? I taught them how to do active listening. Okay, so no one listens, right? We only stop talking. We only, we only stop talking, forming our arguments, so when that person starts talking, we can talk again. I taught them, what did she say? Well, she's wrong. No, 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 no. What did she say? But my way is, I understand, what did she, we would spend hours, and we finally got through, people, oh, chaplain, you're so smart. It's James chapter one, let each of you be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. I was just using God's word without his word, and people thought I was a genius. <laughs> his word is genius. His word is really, really instructive, and it's really, really, really good. And sometimes, it's just transformative. Don't read Matthew 5, unless you're prepared to be transformed. I'm happy to hate those who are hateful. I'm happy to hate those Russians. I'm happy to hate those bad guys who do bad things around the world. I'm happy to hate them. I went to war, I went to war with them. I, mean, I, I, I wanted to fight them for what they did. It's like, 
Jesus said, it's the poor in spirit who will inherit the kingdom of heaven. It's the meek who will inherit the world. Those who hunger for righteousness will be filled. Merciful people will be shown mercy. The pure in heart will see God. Peacemakers are good. Over masks or vaccines, blessed are those who make peace. Love your... I don't want to. I want my enemies to be hurt. Avoid the lusts in your heart. I don't know if you listen to Chuck Colson's stuff. Chuck Colson's passed away, but he, he got a, had a ministry started. And uh, John Stone Street is the guy now of a leader. He said, before Christianity took over, the worlds would conquer one another and slaughter those that they took. When Christ came and gave dignity to the individuals, was the first time we began to treat one another with respect. And so in World War II, nobody wanted to surrender to Russia. The Germans would go miles to surrender to the Americans. Why? Because we treated them like people. Russia did not. Why did we get that idea? Matthew 5. I don't know. I don't know. So here's my deal, guys. I'm about done. I know. Be disciples. What does that mean? That means you're actively involved in doing radical, unimaginable un- grace. And bless your heart, so many of you have got this private of devotional time where you meet with God 15, 20 times every day. I celebrate that. Like that's in the, in the, in the pre, sitting at Jesus' feet. How can you beat that? You can't. But one thing you should add to that. Study. So that you know how to build blocks for people who have no foundation anymore. The church is the last voice of the building blocks of truth on which our culture stands. It's the church of Jesus Christ and the wisdom and the truth of his word which you have to know. So I'm about begging you, get involved in some small group. I don't care if you do it at home or not. I don't care, I don't care, I don't care how you do it. But study. Take a class. Take a class together. You know, ask somebody to lead a class. Some of you should be teachers. I I don't know how it works. All I know is this stuff are two of the essentials I've seen in the last 32 years of ministry. Grace and truth. Be filled as Jesus was filled with both. Let's pray together. <sighs> Savior, it is so much about you. This whole church thing, we can plan and scheme and dream and think. We celebrate you, O oh Christ, for your church 
around the world, the church in Ukraine, the church in the Soviet Union, the church in Iraq, the church in Iran, the, the church in North Korea, all these places where people hate you, your church will not die because you promised that the gates of hell will not prevail against your church. You're still telling the truth. So, Savior, I pray for this dear congregation. <laughs> you know, bless their hearts, some folks just kind of walked in today. God, for everyone who's here, may we be your disciples in more than just words. May we be followers and imitators of you. May it be said of us that we did radical, unexplainable grace. And when push come to shove behind the curtains, we're still people of integrity who held to your truth. Oh, Christ, that you would call us, that you would use us, that you would make us like yourself. Don't you have a better plan? Nope, you just wanted to use us. Thank you for the faithfulness of the dear saints at the Washera Community Church for these many years. For those who dreamed it, for those who continue to live it, for those who joined it, thank you for this part of your body. God, may you bless this church, the dear people who are here and those who will come with years until you come back of service, of grace and truth. We can't do it apart from you, Savior. We need you so much. We need your grace. But we give ourselves to you. Bless, oh God. Continue to bless as you have. Thank you for those who lead us in worship and music. Thank you for those who care for our kids. Thank you for those who serve cookies and hand out coffee and for ushers. Thank you. You're just so good. So bless now, we pray. And keep us, we ask. Father, bring the right person with a similar heart, I pray, oh God, who will teach and be amazed and overwhelmed by your word, filled with your spirit. God, and may the blessings have just begun for what you want to do here and among this dear people. Oh, God, we are just so grateful. Bless our dear leaders, Father, who serve so well. Encourage them, strengthen their hand. Give them wisdom as they lead. Father, we just love you. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you sing together with us as we close service? Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with Hey.
Please be seated. Pastor Alan, Debbie, if you come forward one more time for us uh, before the pulpit. And we do have some founding members of WCC who are here this morning. If you'd come forward, please, on the stage. We want to pray blessing uh, for Alan, Debbie, as uh, God has begun a great work, and now he's completing this chapter of that work. So the founding members come forward, and, and we're going to have a moment of prayer and blessing for them. So... We certainly invite all of the congregation here today and our folks watching online. Let's have our minds and our hearts connected for God's blessing uh, for Pastor Alan Debbie and for our congregation as God continues to lead in shape. Heavenly Father, you have said in your word that your love and your faithfulness are higher than the heavens and the skies. And while none of us have traveled that far, Lord, to test that, we know it to be true. Because your love and faithfulness has blessed us here, God, in this tiny little quarter of the globe where you gathered together people of like mind and heart, and you put on them, Lord, that a church should be birthed. And you called Pastor Al and Debbie to this place, and they answered your call. And God, you used Pastor Al as your under-shepherd for these 32 years. And you used him, God, to help birth this church in this place and to watch it grow. You used him to faithfully proclaim your powerful, your infinitely powerful word that has called many of us in this place to saving faith in you, Jesus. You used him, God, to shepherd us, to care for us, to to watch for us when we were straying. You used him to correct us. You used him to rebuke us. And you used him, God, to demonstrate your marvelous and infinite grace. And God, many, many blessings have occurred in these 32 years that that probably we just can't recount right now. But we ask for your eternal blessing, your divine presence with Pastor Al and Debbie as they close this chapter of what you've written, Lord, in their life story. And as they open a new page to a new chapter of life together and new ministries together, traveling, their family, their loved ones, and Lord, wherever you call them and wherever you put them, we pray strong health and blessing for them. We pray, God, that their hearts are united together always in you, Jesus, and that their eyes are always steadfastly looking forward to the day, Jesus, that you're going to return. Thank you, O oh God, for everything that you have done through Pastor Alan Debbie in these years and in this chapter. And so, Holy Spirit, seal them even right now at this point for the next chapter that's to come as we ask the same blessing for the WCC congregation. Father, I agree with what uh, Pastor Robert has, has prayed. Father, indeed, uh, we thank you for Alan Debbie, and as we, as I look back on 32 years, he has truly been an example, someone who has been committed to you, to, uh, to pursuing being like Jesus every day, every hour, and truly, we thank you for his, his uh, example of, of grace, Father. Um, 
We thank you because you, people were able to see you by the, the grace that, to, that he showed, Father. And we thank you for the truth that he's brought to our church, quick to correct uh, things that were incorrect, but, Father, always doing it in a graceful way. Um, in the early days, I can remember praying that uh, our, little, our little church, that you would not let it, that we would be a church that the gates of Hades could not hold us back. And, Father, you answered that prayer. We were able to... We were not bound, Father, that as we trusted you, you led us to places that seemed impossible, brought us people that uh, we could not have imagined that you trusted uh, us to do your work, Father. And, and uh, I thank you that, that, that these 32 years have not been marked by embarrassment, Father, that Al and Debbie have truly pursued you, have pursued living a life that uh, uh, you've called them to live. Father, we, uh, again, we uh, pray for their future, Father, that uh, we know that your word says that uh, our days are numbered well before we were born, before the beginning of time, and we pray that Ellen and Debbie's days would be full as they pursue you, that uh, they're amazed every day by the goodness of, of their father and that uh, they're quick to see the things that you have for them, that uh, you allow them to continue to establish wonderful relationships where uh, they can be used by you to bring uh, your children to maturity. Again, Father, we just uh, thank you for them. Father, we pray for, uh, for what's in the future. Father, I pray that, that uh, the next pastor here at Washira Community Church, Father, also is pursuing being filled with truth and grace in the same way that Alan Debbie did. Father, and we look forward... Uh, to what you're going to do in these days to come. And we pray this and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord, in your word, Philippians 1, 4, it says, In all my prayers for all of you, I have always prayed with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on until the day of Christ Jesus. Lord, I just thank you today. And uh, We all have mission fields, Lord. They don't never stop. They just move on sometimes. And you're with us, Lord. So I pray, and I thank you so much for their family. And I thank you for Alan and Debbie for the years and the uh, wonderful messages, Lord, over the years. The wonderful friendship the brotherhood. I pray for this congregation, Lord, and I thank you for them. I thank you for what you built here, Lord, and I know it will go on. And I know their lives will go on. They'll have new mission fields. You don't let us go, Lord. You're with us. And so just pray for them and their family, Lord. I just pray that uh, they'll see their gifts. They'll see their calling, their mission field, Lord, and just keep moving on until your day. In Jesus' name. And Father, as we commit ourselves in this congregation into your hands again at this chapter and this point in, in your history in us, we commit Al and Debbie into your care. God, we thank you for your love, for your faithfulness, for your grace, and for your truth. And all God's people said together, amen. amen.